Um, to be honest with you, I think I'm nuts. Because I got myself here cornered into a box that I am not sure how I'm going to get myself out of. I told you last week we had the problems, and this week somehow we had to come up with solutions. I have no idea how we're going to come up with solutions. In fact, last week I came home and I told my wife, I said, you know, today I gave a class on the challenges of a large family. She said, really? You just told about the challenges? I said, no, no, next week we're going to talk about the solutions. She says, really? You have solutions? Why haven't you ever told me? <laughs> so, apparently I don't know that much. We're going to try. All I can say is we're going to try to come up with a few ideas with Hashem's help that possibly we can use in building our homes. As a quick re- recap, we had said last week, we went through five issues. Five issues that I believe on some level, every family that is nice-sized family has. Issue number one was the challenge of jealousy or hidden jealousy. When one child is, has better than the other, is doing better than the other, or doing you know, more talented than the other, and the other child feels a jealousy towards the first. Our second challenge was, if one child has more needs or dramatic, more ta- dramatic greater talents, and therefore you have to address those in a different way than all the other children. Our third challenge was to try to be able to give attention to four or five or six or seven children at the same time. Our fourth challenge was what happens if you have one child that's really, really on a bad path, and how do you protect that it doesn't influence the rest of the family. And our fifth and final challenge was, after all that you do, and all that you work on, and all that you're busy with, how do you find time for yourselves and for your spouses? Those were our five issues. And another thing I think that almost everyone who's here today wants to know, is I told you the story of when I was sitting at my dining room table, And I got two of my children's report cards. And one was Gimal, Dalit, He, and Vav, and all that. And the other one was straight olives. How did I react? We'll tell you what happened later in the class. And I have no idea if it was right or wrong. I'll just tell you what I did. Okay. We're ready now to begin. You know, in this week's parasha, we begin the third book in the Torah, Parashat Vayikra, in the book of Vayikra. There's not much in the parasha that we're going to discuss this week. It's all about sacrifices. It's not really so relevant to our topic. But we would like to focus on one letter in the parasha. And that is the last letter of the first word. The word is Vayikra. If you look in the Torah, the word Vayikra is spelled with an aleph that is small. And so the commentaries ask, why is the aleph printed small in the Torah? And I'm going to tell you one explanation. And that is, and this is really an introduction to what we're going to say, 
That is, that it says that the children, young boys, when they first start learning Torah, the first parasha that we learn with them is not Bereshit. It's not the beginning of the Torah. The first parasha that we learn with the young boy, the first time they open a humash, the parasha that we begin with is this week's parasha, parasha Vayikra. Why? The reason is because that child is little and therefore that child is pure. This week's parasha is about sacrifices in the, in the Beit HaMikdash, in the Mishkan. Pure sacrifices, holy sacrifices. And so therefore we want to compare this pure young child to a pure sacrifice as if to say the child today, you're starting the Torah in a pure way, in a holy way, hopefully you can maintain that holiness. And so we start teaching them. Our beginning is with purity, is about sacrifices. We only do a few pesukim, and then they actually start with Bereshit to send that message. And that's why the first, the letter, the final letter of the first word is small to hint to little children. That this parasha is the parasha designated for little children. That's how they should start studying Torah. They should start with purity, with a pure parasha. Everything we're going to tell you is, we hope, very important and hopefully effective. But what needs to be understood is that if you implement these ideas and concepts in your family, when the children are young, they are much easier for them to last long. If you implement them when your children are teenage or beyond, it becomes a lot harder to actually change their focus and their mindset the older they get. The younger and the purer they are, the easier it is to implement these ideas and these concepts. What it's like is like a little tree. When a tree grows, in the beginning the branches are very soft. You could bend the branch in any way you'd like. Pull the branch, twist the branch, wave the branch. As the tree gets older, the tree gets stronger and stronger. Try to take a branch that's 20 and 30 years old and try to even bend it an inch. And it's practically impossible because it's firm and it's strong and it's powerful. The same thing is true. Your four-year-old son is easily bendable. Your six-year-old daughter can easily be swayed. Your 22-year-old daughter or your 25-year-old son, he is like a strong branch. Try to budge him. He's not going anywhere. Anyone with children that age knows I'm right. Am I right? Very right. Well, don't raise your hand. We don't need to know. But we're very right. Good. This is why when Hashem would speak to Moshe, it says that God's voice would descend from heaven into the Mishkan. And then once it was in the Mishkan, it would then go from inside of the Mishkan to Moshe Rabbeinu. His voice would descend from heaven into the Holy of Holies, into Moshe Rabbeinu. Where would it descend into? Onto the Aron. The Aron had on its top, on, on top of the Aron were two young children, the faces of a young boy and a young girl. Hashem's voice would go and emanate from between those two little children. That's where God starts His talk. 
That's where Hashem begins to speak. That's where you can hear Hashem's words from, from those little children. If you're ready to mold little children, you start when they're little children, you can mold them into holy people. The older they get, the harder and harder it becomes. So, we're going to try to give you two steps. It's easier to give a lot of problems. Solutions, I only have two. We're going to try to give you two steps. Two steps to address the first four problems. And that was the jealousy, the uniqueness of one child, the attention, and a troubled child. The fifth problem, which is an issue with yourself, is that Hashem will deal with next week because it's a entirely different focus. It's about yourself and your marriage. It's not about your children. Today we're focusing specifically on your children. I gave this class a number of times last week and someone came over to me on Saturday night and he sat me down he said, Rabbi, today I was in my house and my, young, my daughter, maybe she's six years old, saw a picture in the house of me and my wife with my two-year-old daughter. My daughter went over to the picture and tore it to shreds. She said, Daddy, you don't spend any time with me. I hate this picture. What did he do? He punished the daughter. Thank you for saying no. That's obvious, correct? Big mistake. That's not the route to take. And so now we're ready to start. It says about the Kohen Gadol, that the Kohen Gadol, I'm so confused. I don't know how I'm going to handle this. Does anyone, you want to just stand on a clock, like put it in your hand every five minutes? Okay. I got it. I think my clock also stopped. Okay, anyhow. No, it did stop. It's okay. The Kohen Gadol, in order to be the Kohen Gadol, there were a few requirements. What were the requirements that a Kohen Gadol had to be? Besides being righteous and pious and knowledgeable, what were the requirements that the Kohen Gadol, the highest, most powerful, highest ranking Kohen, what were the requirements that he had? The requirements were that he had to be older. can't just be a kid. He had to be handsome. He had to be wise. And he had to be wealthy. You got it? Older, handsome, wise, and wealthy. And he also had to be strong. Why did he have to be strong? I understand the other things help him in his power and his influence. Why did he have to be strong? So the commentaries tell us why he had to be strong. In fact, Aharon HaKohen was so powerful, it says, that he actually had to pick up the Levi'im. He picked up 22,000 Levi'im in one day. Picked them up, he had to shake them. It was a process that was done. We won't explain it now. That's how strong he was. It says that a Navi, a prophet, also one of the requirements for a prophet was he had to be physically strong. And they bring a proof. Moshe Rabbeinu a few weeks ago brought down the tablets from Har Sinai and he shattered them. It says that the tablets were very, very large and very, very, very heavy. Uh, to the extent that it's not normal for a human being to be able to lift them. Moshe Rabbeinu was able to lift them and actually throw them down. Because Moshe Rabbeinu was a very, very physically 
able and physically strong man. Why does the Kohen Gadol and the prophet, why do these two very high-ranking leaders, why do they need to be this powerful and this mighty, this strong? I'm not taking answers. But I will take questions, by the way, in the middle. Normally we don't take any questions, but if in the middle we have one or two, I might take. The answer is like this. Because if somebody is physically strong, it means they work very hard. It means that they know how to sacrifice. It means they know how to use effort. It means they know how to sweat. They know how to toil. And they know how to work. That's how you become strong. And that's why this high leader, this great leader, has to be strong. Because if he's strong, it means he works very hard. The most important thing, message that you can send to your children, is the need and the importance for them to work hard. The, the importance of them putting effort into everything they do. And the only thing that should be valued in your house is effort, not achievement. Nobody cares if you get a 100 on your test. No call to grandma should be made because this child got an honors or begot because they were put in an important class. That means nothing. Nothing. Zero. What's important is only one thing, and that's the one thing that everybody is equal in, and that is effort. Everybody can do effort. Everyone can work. Everyone can try. And that's the only thing that should have any value and any rating in your house is effort and toil and how much they're willing to work. And I mean this on two ways. I mean, first of all, in your home, when you compliment the child, you don't say, oh, wow, she's so gorgeous. Who could care less if she's gorgeous? She was born that way. She did nothing to be gorgeous. (laughs) Oh, wow, this is true. Oh, wow, she look at the the class. Look at him, at the top of the class. He's the smartest kid in the class. I could care less. And Hashem could care less. Because smart is something they're born with. means nothing. What matters is the effort. And the same thing is true when you're talking about somebody else. You're sitting at the Friday night table or you're sitting and you're talking and you say, Oh, wow, do you see this guy? He got engaged to this girl. You got to see her. She's so pretty. Don't make that comment because your six-year-old daughter just got a message. Pretty is powerful. Pretty is important. Did you see this person? This kid always got straight A's. He's a genius. You just valued something that they're born with. Something that they did nothing to attain. And therefore, it doesn't deserve any value. Grandma gets a phone call when there's A's on the effort side. You know, they have the two sides and they have all these letters. It's a whole jashi you have to read on the bottom. (laughs) S-N-E-R. I don't know what they all mean. But on that side of the paper is the side that gets value. And this, all the children could get. The genius in the family and the person who can't add two plus two. They all deserve. The only part of the report card that really matters is that column, the effort column. I want to tell you a study. Listen to this study. This was a study that was performed by a doctor named Dr. Erickson. He performed this study at the Berlin Elite Academy of Music. This was an academy that would teach and train violinists who would eventually become some of the greatest violinists in the world. He went into the classroom, him and his few assistants went into the classroom or went into the whole institution 
And he divided the institution into three groups. One group were those that would one day become world-class violinists. People that would be leaders in orchestras, world-class musicians. The second group were those that would be pretty good. They'd be, you know, if there's 14 violinists, they'd be number 12, 13. They'd be regular people in the band. And then the third group was those that were never really going to ever professionally perform. Maybe they'd be teachers of music, but they themselves were not really going to be on that level. Three groups. The excellent, the middle, and the bottom. And he then started to talk to them about what they do and how much practice. And they all started practicing at about the same age. They all started at about five years old. So if you have a child who's five years old, if she's four and she didn't start violin yet, she has a shot. If she's six, she's a little late. Okay, they all started about five years old. And then he tried to find out how many hours do you spend working on practicing and preparing your violin. To make a long story short, and he goes through each year and breaks it down. Bottom line is, by the time they were, I think it was 20 years old, those in the first group had spent 10,000 hours practicing. Those in the second group had spent 8,000 hours practicing. And those in the third group had spent only 4,000 hours practicing. The levels had fallen directly along the lines of how much practice they did, not by how much born talent they had. And the same thing is true with your child. I don't care if you have this child prodigy born genius. If they don't understand the importance of effort, they will somewhere along the line, they will fail. And I don't care if you have another child who seems to be born with two left hands and has got no talent. I don't care. If that child understands the value of effort, that child can find a way. There's no one that God gave born with nothing. They'll find a way to succeed. The only thing that should have value in your home is effort. And therefore, there's nobody gets more, there's no jealousy. Because everyone's the same. Everyone gets, you want, you want me to get, you give you attention, you want an award, you want something, a reward, you want, you earn something, put in the effort, we'll reward you for it. Don't put in the effort, we're not rewarding you for it. I don't care how many A's you get. In fact, the other night, and I always tell you these stories about my son. So, this is the guy with the uh, bow and arrow fellow. So anyhow, so now this kid doesn't eat anything. You know those kids? I was actually, when I was a young kid, I ate, my whole diet was bread and butter. And my mother was a good cook. Bread and butter is all I ate. I went exotic when I toasted it. That was my <laughs> food that I ate. So now I have a son. Of course, God always blesses you with kids just the same. I have a son that eats almost nothing. Chicken cutlets, I have a couple of items, he eats only certain ones, and he picks it out, it's a whole... So now my wife calls me up, Michael, she's calling me up on my way, I'm coming home, and I'm already coming home late, and she calls me up, and she says, you know, we bought for Rosh Chodesh, we bought, we had pizza and fries and garlic knots, and Michael only eats garlic knots, and by the time he got home, he was in school and he was learning extra on his own. By the time he got home, the garlic knots were all gone. He didn't eat lunch because he doesn't eat. And he didn't eat dinner. Could you stop off at the pizza shop and get garlic knots? So I know, I, I, I'm going to sound like a monster now. But I said, I said, Are you, I can't right now, I'm late. I said, I'll tell you what, I'll go to the pizza shop, but I'm supposed to learn with him later tonight. If I go get him garlic knots, I'm not learning with him, I don't have any time. I know, I sound like a monster, don't I? I sound, you think only like 
You think rabbis, they know what they're doing, they get they do the right thing all the time. Okay? And I hang up the phone. Now, the second I hung up, I felt like a total loser. But I hung up the phone. 20 seconds later, literally 20 seconds later, the phone rings again. He said, come home. He'll skip the garlic knots. He wants to learn with you. Now, I really felt like a loser. I went to the pizza shop. Okay? I got the garlic knots and a snack bag and a chocolate and a soda, okay? I think it was just like to make myself feel good, okay? And I came home and gave, and I came home and I learned with him and we spent, but why he wanted, that was, he showed that he cares to work and he showed that he cares to put in the effort. That deserves to be rewarded. Brother, my son at the beginning of the week says, Dad, your classes are always only about me. So what should I do this week? What subject are you talking about? I need to know what we're discussing. He's uh, Eskimori. He's he's a character. But the truth is, this is extremely, extremely important the amount of effort you make sure your children put in because our community is full, full of kids who ride on either their intelligence or ride on their parents' power or ride on their parents' money or ride on something that they just think they could go along without actually understanding that it's your job. And I tell you this, that's where I started off. You can, you have to, this message has to be in their brain from when they're four and five and six and seven and eight and nine. Not when they're 20. Because now you have a challenge when they're 20 because they're a strong branch, they don't want to hear you. It has to be from when they're young. The Rambam says something that seems to be um, inconsistent with what we just said. He says the strength that the Navi has to have is not physical strength, it's Mental strength. He has to be someone who is disciplined, who listen, who is as someone who's gibor on his yetzer, someone who has discipline, self-discipline, who has control of himself. How come the Rambam seems to be deviating by what the Gemara said? The Gemara said it's physical strength, and he seems to be saying it's spiritual, emotional, or mental strength. Not the same thing. Inconsistent what the Gemara is. Rav Chaim says no, it's the same thing. Because if a person is working hard, they're going to develop physical strength and they're going to develop its mental strength that creates physical strength. And it's only someone who works and is willing to work and continue to work and continue to toil and continue to work that's going to succeed. You know, there's a book that came out a few weeks ago. I don't know if anybody heard about this book. It's, I don't know the exact title. It's something to the effect of the hymn of the tiger mom. Anybody aware of this book? Anyone heard of it? You heard of it. What it is, is, is a Chinese woman who tells about how she raises her children. This woman is a monster. Really hardcore. She made her child, seven-year-old daughter, practice a song on the piano and keep practicing and practicing. You can't eat. You can't go to the bathroom. Just keep practicing all night. All the way till late at night. Just keep rising. She gave, her daughter made a card for her. She said, you put no effort into this card. I reject this card. 
And really true. She called the garbage one time. I mean, this is, but it's a big book. It's a book. I'm not saying it's a famous book. It's a very controversial book. Anyone, uh, you're now more familiar with what I'm talking about? Okay, she calls herself a tiger mom. Now, to tell you the truth, you hear the concepts and you say that's ridiculous, and it is ridiculous. But let me tell you something. If you want to know the difference between the Americans and the Asians, okay, we're all into the whole lovey-dovey, help them out, give them a kiss and a hug story. But you know what that's creating? That's creating a country where all our jobs, you know why we have 10% unemployment? Because we don't work anymore. They work overseas. Because those people want to work hard. We don't want to work hard anymore. Our economy is growing at 2%. And China is growing at 10%. Let me show you this statistic here. This is something from the PISA. I think it's the Program for International... Oh, man. Student Achievement. Something like that. Okay? Here's what they have. In the United States of America, in the world, they tested the students. We rate in the entire world number 17 in reading. We rate 23rd in science. We rate 31st in math. Okay? They finally did gave this test to the students in Shanghai. They rated number one across the board and well beyond number one. Because you know why? They understand. They're born to work hard. You know, I was cracking jokes last week about those people walking around the streets carrying cans. You know what? And the truth is, it is hysterical sometimes to watch. You see these big dump trucks on a carriage with two wheels. But the truth is, they're willing to work. You would never work that hard. I would never work that hard. None of our children would ever work that hard. No, they sit back if I can make... $200 doing it for an hour, maybe I'll do it. But to really, really get down and dirty, we don't want to do it. And so we're training our children to be lazy people. There was a governor of a, of a I think in Pennsylvania, it was in Philadelphia, the governor said there was a football game that was canceled because of the snow. He said, you know what, we're creating a country of wusses, he said. That's his words. He says, do you think in China they cancel a game because of snow? He said, if it was China, they'd be walking to the game in the snow, studying calculus along the way. He said, that's the truth. But our country is a little bit of snow, we can't move. The truth is, we're creating Hazid cases. And I don't mean this funny, I mean this real. We're creating people that maybe if I get a job that's earning me a lot of money, maybe then I'll stop putting an effort. There should be no value to talent. No value to born characteristics. The only value is how much work and how much sacrifice and how much effort you're willing to put in. Then, there's no child who needs more and needs less. There's no child, there's no reason for jealousy because you're not going and ooing and eyeing over some born award. You're only ooing and eyeing over effort. And if they're jealous of their sibling's effort, that's good. Shalom HaMelech said in Mishleh, he says, al I passed the field of a lazy man. And I passed the vineyard of someone who doesn't put in any effort. The whole field is full of, is full of weeds and it's full of thorns and it's just desolate. And the, the field is full of more thorns and, and mold and the walls of the field are broken apart. He says, and I looked at this field and I took note and I paid attention 
and I understood what happens to someone who's lazy. I've passed, and you've passed, many of those fields. Many people who are in their 20s, 25, 30, 35, and 40 years old, and their field is full of thorns because they didn't understand the concept and the need and the importance of putting effort and working and trying and failing and getting up again and failing and getting up again. You have a child who fails on a test and then the next time gains an extra 20 points on their test, even if it's now a 65, award that because that's effort. Instead, we're watching people just lazy, try to become instant fame, and we're watching this country become, and I'm serious, the whole country, the whole country has spent the last three weeks watching a fellow. I'm not going to say his name. I am not going to say his name. Okay? I really won't say his name. At some show, is it less than three men or something? Is the show. So, okay? And the truth is, this is what, you know what, that's what we watch. Some guy who becomes instantly famous because maybe he's a little funny and his whole life is a field of thorns. And he is, he really is a half a man. I mean, see, this show is him. He's a half, this is, and I don't, I didn't see it, I don't know, I never saw a show in my life. Again, I have to make that clear because some people think I know things. I don't know anything, okay? But, this is our country. This is our country. Instant fame. Make an American idol. Make someone win an award. Be an actor. Do something good. Have unbelievable talent. We'll make you from a pauper to a millionaire. And our children are trained this way to want that. And if we go along with it, and we just ooh and ah along the way, and get excited about little talent that they have, or some characteristic that they were born with, they will be trained to be lazy. And when they're trained to be lazy, you're basically training them to fail. Now, a couple, another thought. We're still, okay. You have no idea. It's right now, what is it? It's, no, it's 9.20 or something. It's 11 o'clock. There you go. Very good. I just have to make a few announcements before we get to step two. Okay, these are important announcements. Number one, we have someone here is collecting from Atanot Lev Yonim. And she's collecting here for a widow with two families, one is a widow with four children, another one is with seven children, you know, no money, if you can help, if you can do anything, please, there's going to be an envelope that's going to be passed around, it's Matanot Lev Yonim, it's for Purim, and so if you can give it, give. Number two, there's another woman who's here who has a program where they have um, hundreds of students and hope they hope to reach a thousand students who are studying Torah on probably one of the lightest Torah study days of the year. And that is Purim. These are needy families that study on Purim. She's also going to be collecting in the back. If you can help her, please, please see her and give money. Again, it's all Sadaqah. This is the time of year where our pockets are open, our hands are open. We're giving and we're giving. In fact, I'm also requesting that next week, when we have our special Purim class, if you can, we'll pass around an envelope. If you can bring extra from Atanar Levionim, I'm raising money for a lot of people, not just random people, people that are really friends of mine, that are studying, that are making ends meet. But when the holiday time comes, everyone could use the extra hundred, extra thousand. And so, if you can provide, ask your husbands. If you can give some matanah, it would be a great chesed. One last thing. We have, there is a group of people, it's actually hundreds of people, who started a project a little while ago to read the Chafetz Chaim's daily lesson on Lashon Hara. 
They're actually completing the book this week, and they're going to be having a big event, Sudashali Sheet, in Sharetzion. Hopefully, the whole shul is going to be there. Um, we'd love if you would come. I'm going to be the guest speaker there. I think they want someone outside of Sharetzion, so I guess that's how I got there. So, we'd love if you would come, or your husband can come. But we really would love if you'd like to begin on the next project. The next project is a new book. It's a book you read one lesson, you get a text, you get a little text to yourself, a reminder. It's one lesson, it takes you four minutes to read the lesson. It's a little thought for your day. And every day you continue on the lesson. Bezat Hashem in the back will have a list. You can write down your phone number. And I think they want your phone carrier to be able to text you. It's really, we have books in the back. Really, really, it's free. You take a book and you get a little reminder. The truth is we're so inundated with such trash most of our day that when the minutes that we have to stop, you read a little lesson, maybe you read it at the table, these little ideas really, really help build a person and build a family. Now, we have to get to step two. Okay? Here we go. It'll be a lot quicker than step one. The Basuk says about Bil'am, that Bil'am would not go, Bil'am would not go with, there were messengers that were sent to go bring Bil'am to curse the people. Bil'am, who was the Gentile prophet, said, I can't go with you, because God doesn't let me go with you. And Rashi says that he was hinting to the fact that you people are not important enough for me to come with you to go do the mission you'd like me to do. The Orachayim HaKadosh says that he was actually not just bragging here. It actually was true. That Hashem had told him, when Hashem told him, you can't go with these people, what he was trying to say is, you are above these people. These people that are calling you to come, to go, and to curse, you're better than that. You're not like that. You shouldn't go and follow these kinds of people. Hashem was concerned with the self-respect of Bil'am. Hashem was concerned with the self-respect of a Gentile, evil prophet. He was an evil man. And God was concerned with his self-respect. In fact, later on, when Bil'am had it, was on his donkey. And his donkey rebuked him. Pasuk says his donkey rebuked him. You know what Hashem did after the donkey rebuked? God killed the donkey. Why did he kill the donkey? The answer is because if this donkey would walk around, people would know that this was the donkey that rebuked Bil'am. It would be embarrassing for Bil'am, for this donkey to be walking around. Wow, did you see? That's the donkey that spoke back to Bil'am. That's the donkey that spoke back to Bil'am. That's the donkey that insulted him. And so Hashem killed the donkey. What I'm telling you here is, is Hashem was concerned about the self-respect of one of the lowest people in our entire Torah. Your job as a parent, your job as a parent, is to make sure that every single one of your children know very clearly and very strongly how important and how valuable they are. Because you're never going to get a child to put in effort unless they know how good they are. Unless they know how good they can be. I'll tell you a story, and I was a little uncomfortable telling it, so I'm not going to tell you if it's my daughter or my son, my son or my daughter. I told it sometimes with my daughter, sometimes with my son, so you want to 
I went to a rabbi in Israel when I was in Israel last month, or a month and a half ago. And the rabbi is named Rabbi Yehuda Ades, I mentioned in the class. One of the greatest Sephardi rabbis alive. And I happened to have a long time with him. So this issue was not one of my most pressing issues, but as I was there, I had a lot of things to talk about. I said, you know, one of my children, I'll say my son, has been a little challenging. What should I do? Sometimes talks back. I wouldn't say rebellious, that's way too strong. But, you know, a little challenging is the word. He says, here's what you should do. And I want you to listen to this advice. It's very important. He says, I want you every day, in the middle of your day, to buy something for this child. Two dollars, one dollar, nothing. Buy it for the child. Come home at night. Go over to your son and tell him, I'm giving you this little pack of candy. Not because of anything you did. But only because I love you. Nothing else. He said, not because you're going to help in the house or because you did well yesterday. No, don't say that. Simply, here is this little Zowers because I love you. He said, and do it. What? Okay, now you have to find a way how to do it. You don't tell do it in front of the whole family. You do it. You do it in private. What? Okay, so we'll work on that. Give me a minute, okay? I'm pressed for time. Well, I'm not really pressed for time. It's 9.30. I'm good. I can answer this question. Okay. What he was saying is, is that child needs to... And the truth is, someone said, oh, why do you have to do it? Why can't you just tell them that? No, no, no. If they know that their father, Rabbi Joey Haber, who's a very busy man, who they think is preoccupied with a hundred other things besides them during the course of his day, actually in the middle of the day, went somewhere to a store, parked his car, went inside, bought something for him, got back in his car, saved it, and brought it up to his room at 10 o'clock at night or 11 o'clock at night after everybody's sleeping, that kid says, wow, I am really an important person. Because my important father thinks that I am worth his important time. I must be important. This is extremely, extremely important. Because we just try to do drive-by parenting. Oh, you're doing great. I love you. You're great. No. Sit down and make that child believe how great they can be. I don't care if the child is very talented or not. That's not the important. Make them believe how important they can be. And just make them believe it. And from when they're young, make them believe it and believe it. I'll take a question in a minute. And in fact, I think the only way that a child will ever put in the effort and do step one is if you do step two. The only way a child will put in the effort is if they believe they're worth the effort. Here's my point. Did you ever see someone who is really, really not good looking? Okay. You're looking... Uh, no, I wasn't going to say that. But you never see someone who's not, who doesn't look that great. Yes? You ever see someone? You ever notice something about them? They really don't take care of themselves. You see someone who's 100 pounds overweight, they throw on a t-shirt, they throw on something, and they just walk around. Yet you see somebody else who has four extra pounds on their body to run from here to the city and back... 
just to get off those two pounds. Am I right or wrong? You know why? Because they believe they're worth it. They believe that if they put in that effort, they can actually succeed. And so they're willing to put in that effort because it's going to create success. I have a belief about that study. I told you about the violinist. I think the study's a hoax. I think it's the truth. But it wasn't the practice. I think it's those students that believed and that knew that they could one day be world-class talents, those are the ones that would put in 10,000 hours. Because it's worth it to put in 10,000 hours. It's going to get me here. It's the students that knew that their talent was mediocre, only put in mediocre effort because they knew they weren't going to get that far. And the students that knew that they weren't going to ever be a great success, never put in the effort because they knew they weren't going to get anywhere anyhow. It's not just the effort. It's the fact, their belief that caused them to put in the effort. What's your question? Lazy. What do you mean lazy? lazy? What do you mean lazy? We're talking about the whole time. So then if they're, well again, if you start when they're young, if they're just lazy, which you're talking about half the kids that we know, okay? If they're just lazy, the answer is, is that you keep trying to find ways to reward effort or to praise effort. Even if for them effort might be waking up before 11 o'clock on Sunday. It might be effort to get out of bed at 10. You somehow make a big deal out of it. What? How many days did you get the candy for? I'll tell you soon. Okay? <laughs> yes, you can. But I think you have to, they each have to realize in some way that they're unique. Okay? In other words, if they're giving them, here we go, everybody. Daddy went and he bought everybody a gum. Then they're just, three nights from now, they'll be asking, Daddy, where's the gum? How come you didn't get me gum? What's, they'll start to make, no, should it be that way? You know, you have one question. I see someone edgy. You could ask it. Go. One last question. So uh, no problem. But when you're making a big deal about it, everyone in the family should know the big deal is not the grade. The big deal is the effort in the grade. That's uh, no, no problem. Again, the talented child also should get their due, but they should get their due for the right reason. You know, well, last question. Right. And so she demanded so that they push. Well, again, you have yeah. to know your child. Very often, yeah, I might, you might have one child who comes back with a 90 and you know that the 90, this mark very often reflects the effort. So you might say, you're 90, I'm not happy with that, because I know you're, what do you mean a 90 is great? No, I know you gave, you didn't give me full effort. Don't tell me you gave effort, you didn't. So if that child getting a 70 is unbelievable work to do that, then they deserve to be recognized. Again, the tiger mom isn't right. I'm not telling you to become Chinese. That's not my, what? You like her? Call your children garbage. I agree with you. But again, I don't want to get uh, too distracted. I want to get, finish our point here because we do have to end. And again, if you're part of the way, and I want to clarify this point to one more level, and then we'll be almost finished. One of the ways that you create the value in each child is by creating 
a uniqueness in each child. So that each child recognizes that they have a role. Maybe they're the person who's into technology. Maybe they're the person who's into learning. Maybe they're the person who is very helpful in doing... Find a way that each child has a role so that now when you have to deal with this child on their own, it makes sense. Because now daddy's talking to the technician. And now daddy's talking to the person who's into learning. Or maybe now mommy's talking to the person who likes to cook. It makes sense when you're giving them individual attention or different attention because they're already on a track that everybody in the family recognizes. This is what she does. This is what he does. This is what he's good at. This is what she's good at. If they understand that everyone's unique and ev- understand that everyone has a specific role, then they, can, then they understand and can respect when you treat one a little different than the other based on their role. And they could even understand when one child's having trouble in school and they see that, you know, and maybe even express it, you know, this one needs a little more time, needs a little more time with their homework, needs a little more effort, a little more thought because this one is having harder time and is more challenged in that area. The prime example of somebody and a family who had to deal with a challenging son and deal with the challenge of that son's influence on the other son was Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah had two children, Yitzchak and Yishmael. Sarah said, Yishmael is a bad influence on my son. Get rid of him. Abraham said, I love him too much. I can't get rid of him. And Hashem told Abraham, Sarah is right. You have to make him leave the house. That's the end of the story that you know in the Torah. I'm going to tell you one. There's an epilogue to that story. Yishmael eventually left. Yishmael eventually got married. Abraham Avinu one day showed up in the middle of the day at Yishmael's house. And his wife was there. And he asked his wife, he says, where's Yishmael? He's out, he's getting fruit. Abraham said, can you please give me something to drink and something to eat? The woman said, I'm sorry, I don't have anything to eat, I don't have anything to drink, I can't give you anything. Abraham says, when your husband comes home, give him a message. Tell him an old man passed by the house today. And the old man said that the foundation of this house is very weak. Ishmael came home that night. She told him what this old man said. He got the message that his father doesn't approve of his wife. He divorced her immediately. He got remarried to a new woman. A few years later, Abraham Avinu again came back to the house in the middle of the day. Husband's not home. Where's your husband? He's out in the field. Can I have something to eat or something to drink? Sure, I'd love to give you something to eat and something to drink. He gave her free, she gave him food. She gave him drink. She served him beautifully. He says, when your husband comes home, give him a message. Tell him an old man passed by today. And he says that the foundation of your home is very strong. Yishmael got the message and stayed married to this woman. The Pasuk tells us, that at the end of Abraham Avinu's life, when he passed away, both of his sons were holy. And both of his sons buried him. And Rashi says, because Yishmael had done Teshuvah. Yishmael had changed. You know why? Because even when his father sent him out, his father still saw him as important. His father still traveled to the desert to see how his home is doing. You know, I read a story recently, and maybe we'll talk about it in coming weeks. So Yaakov Kamenetsky is one of the great leaders in the, uh, in the history of this country, one of the great rabbinic leaders, he passed away 25 years ago, this month. He had many sons. 
There was one, all of his sons were rabbis. Besides one. His youngest son went into business. Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky would spend every Wednesday studying all day with that son. That son would come down to his father's house in Muncie and he had his own business so he could control when is his time, his working times, and spend the whole day with his father. The one son that you might think this is a world-class rabbi, the one son who didn't quite make it to what he wanted it to be. Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky said, this is a world-renowned rabbi. He has time for that child. And of course, this son became a beautiful person. God, nothing wrong with him at all. But he became, but he saw his, how much his father valued him. I want to tell you what I did with the report card. I had the two report cards in front of me. And I'm trying to, I looked at them and actually didn't say a word. Didn't say a word. I went upstairs into my study and sometime in the middle of the night, the child who got all the straight A's, I called him or her into my office and I said, I want to tell you something. I can't believe how well you did, how much effort you put in. Your teacher's saying you're doing your homework, your conduct is good, you're respectful, you're working hard. I can't tell you how impressed I am. And because of that, I went to my closet. Daddy has all the candy. Went to my closet, took out some little candy and gave it to her. Then, after the night, I went out to give a class. And on the way home, I bought a slurp, went, stopped at 7-Eleven, and bought a Slurpee for the other daughter or the other son. That child, that night, I came to him and I said, you know what, I want you to know I really love you. And I didn't talk about the report card. I really love you. And I'll address the report card. I did address the report card. But I really love you. And on the way home, and when I'm leaving for a class, I look like all I'm thinking about is the class. I came back home with a Slurpee for that child. He knows he's in point. So I want to tell you what happened last night. I've been bringing these little sushi, sour, this, that. Last night, I came home fairly late and pretty tired, and I hadn't even eaten dinner, okay? On my study desk, I see a plate of salad, and underneath it is a note from that child who's been getting the different items. Dear Daddy, I love you so, so much. How can I thank you enough for the greatness that you've done, this kid's young, you've done for me since I was born. Thank you for the great presents that I get every night. I love you so much. Enjoy your salad. Sorry if it's not so great. Have a great and cozy, comfortable night. Good luck for tomorrow on your class. Enjoy your day. I love you. Daddy, you made my night. I didn't even get this child anything yet. Daddy, you made my night. Thank you for everything. That child feels in point. I'm not saying I succeeded yet. Far from it. I'm not saying that this is an easy process. And those challenges that we face and all of us face, usually they're ongoing and they continue from years to years. The children could be married and you still haven't solved the problem. But if you create in your family a belief where every child understands how important they are, and understand that they need to put in the effort and they're worth the effort, then Bezat Hashem, your family will be successful. Thank you.